And we're going to call this Psalms in the Summer. Okay? And my plan is to go through 15 Psalms each summer until we're complete. Now, Psalms is a lot like those Time Life infomercials. You've seen those? Time Life presents the greatest love songs of the 50s and 60s. Seen those kinds of things? Uh, brought to you by your favorite artist. Uh, can't buy them in the store. You know. uh, if you could find them, yeah, it would take you a lifetime. You know. And they would crackle. And these are digitally remastered and they're on five discs. Did you ever see anybody ever see one of those commercials? Well, Psalms is like that. Uh, Psalms is uh, 150 songs. If they were written today, they'd be on five discs. Uh, but the book of Psalms is divided into five sections. Okay, five sections of Psalms. I'm going to give you those five sections. We're going to do a little bit, little bit of background before we get to the actual Psalm number one. Five sections of Psalms. In the first section is Psalm one through Psalm forty-one. Psalm one through forty-one. That's section one. And something very interesting about each one of these sections, each section corresponds to one of the books of Moses. Okay? So Psalm 1 through 41 corresponds to Genesis. And now the theme of Genesis is man. And uh, how he makes a covenant with his people. And he's going to form the nation of Israel. You'll see a lot of those themes in that first section. The second section consists of Psalms 42 through 72. And they correspond to Exodus. And the themes of those psalms in section 2 is deliverance. The Jews were delivered from the Exodus. The third section, disc number 3 of the 150 best hits of David and others, uh, are Psalms 73 through 89. And they correspond to Leviticus. And they deal a lot with the sanctuary, and with the temple, and with the priesthood. And then the fourth section of Psalms 90 through 106. And they correspond to Numbers. And Numbers is about the wilderness. And you'll see a lot about the wilderness in those Psalms. And then finally, Psalms 107 to 150 correspond to Deuteronomy. And it deals with the law and the land. So we have a book of Psalms, 150 songs. And it was Israel's songbook. And divided into five sections. Now, something very interesting. Each one of these sections ends in a doxology. And this is how you know there are five sections. Now, I want to show this to you. Look at the last psalm of section 1, Psalm 41. And then look at verse 13. Now, this is the last psalm of section 1. Blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel. Notice that word. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Now, does some of your Bibles show that the next psalm begins a new section? How many says book two or something like that? Yeah, see, that's the second section. That goes all the way up to Psalm 72. Now turn to Psalm 72, and you'll see that that psalm also ends in a doxology. Psalm 72. Now I won't read all of it, but I'll start at verse 18. Psalm 72 and verse 18. 
Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who has done wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. Let all, with the whole earth, be filled with his glory. Amen. And amen. You know, that's the doxology. Then what does the next title over the next section say? Book three. Book three. This is this number three coming up. So look over at uh, Psalm 89. That's the last psalm of the third section. Psalm 89. And notice how it ends. Look at verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And then what do you see? The next title? Book 4. See, so this is section 4. That goes all the way up to 106. So go to Psalm 106. And look how Psalm 106 ends. Look down at verse 48, the last verse. Psalm 106 and verse 48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And then notice book number 5. This is section 5. And of course, section 5 ends at Psalm 150. And you know how that psalm ends. With everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. So we have five sections, 150 psalms, okay? Now, let me give you some special features about these psalms, okay? First of all, these psalms were written by different people. David wrote 73 of the psalms. 73 of the psalms. Asaph, his choir director, wrote other psalms. When David was king, there was a temple, and they actually had a choir. Just like our church has a choir, and there's a choir director, and he wrote some of the songs. Okay. And Solomon, his son, wrote some of the songs. And there's even one song by Moses that's transported and put right in here, and that is Psalm 90, and the pastor's going to be preaching on Psalm 90. I heard him say that he'd be talking about that in uh, the near future. Tonight. Okay, now the second thing I want you to notice, it's very important that you get this, is that the Psalms have multiple meanings in this sense. You first have to read the Psalm in its context. Now remember, it was probably written, we're not certain of this, it was probably written during the reign of the kings. Okay? Uh, Saul and David and Solomon. And so you need to interpret it in light of the king of Israel and the kingdom of Israel. But also, we know from last week, Jesus, when he was resurrected, began to teach the 120 people assembled in the upper room how he had fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies that were contained in Moses and the prophets and the book of Psalms. So the book of Psalms also talks about Jesus. So we need to be looking for messianic meaning in these Psalms. In fact, by the 2nd or 3rd century B.C., nearly all the Psalms had some sort of messianic interpretation. When they would read a Psalm, they'd say, oh, that's what the Messiah will be like when he comes. Oh, that's what the Messiah will do when he comes. Okay? So we need to hunt for Jesus in the Psalms as well. Very important. Then the third thing I want you to notice is that 
Many of the psalms have a superscription attached to them. Uh, for example, let me show you that. Verse, uh, look at uh, Psalm 3. Psalm 3. Notice, you'll see the words, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Do you see that? That's a superscription. Look at Psalm 4. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Look at Psalm 5. To the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. And you can go through and you'll discover that 80% of the psalms have a superscription. Now, the superscription uh, is pretty ancient. It's not part of necessarily of the original text. But what happened was that the scribes put a little title, a superscription, over the psalm to tell you the circumstances in which the psalm was written. And these superscriptions are very reliable, and they give us some insights into the psalm. So we need to make sure that we look at the superscriptions. And then the next thing I want you to notice is that Psalm 1 and 2, they don't have superscriptions like that. Now there's some titles over these psalms that Bible publishers put in there, okay? But they're not superscriptions. The superscriptions were the things that I read. Psalms 1 and 2 serve as an introduction or a preamble to the rest of the psalms, okay? What we think is that there were originally 148 psalms. And then these last two were added. And they were put at the front of the book, Psalm 1 and 2. And they serve, in a sense, as an introduction or a preamble to the rest of the psalm. They'd be like a porch that uh, leads into a house. The porch is important. It tells you a lot about the house, but you're not into the house yet. So these first two psalms, in a sense, serve as a foundation upon which the rest of the psalms uh, rest. Okay, so let's look at Psalm 1. Okay, now notice what it says. Blessed is the man. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to discover that this psalm contrasts the person that God blesses, verses 1 through 3, okay, with the person that God curses verses 4 through 6. So if I were to give you an outline, a simple outline of this psalm, that outline would say, verses 1 through 3, the person that God blesses, verses 4 through 6, the person that God curses. Okay? And this psalm, where does the first section of the psalm, what book of Moses do they correspond to? Genesis. Genesis. Very important that you get this. In many ways, uh, you will see in this psalm the story of, of the first three chapters of Genesis laid out before you. Remember, God creates man in his image. He creates them male and female. Genesis 1, 28. And it says, and he blessed them. Whoa, look at that. Blessed is the man. Look at that. And he blessed them. How did he bless them? Well, when you look at the rest of that chapter, it says he told them to be fruitful and multiply. He would bless them that way. He gave them rule over the earth. He blessed them that way. He gave them control over the animals. He blessed them that way. And it says he gave them the herbs of the field. He provided for them. He gave them provisions. These are the blessings that God gives to a person who lives in obedience 
to his law. Okay? But then what happens in Genesis 3? Adam and Eve, what do they do? Sin. And then the curse has come. And he curses the field, doesn't he? And now what grows up? Born. And the woman will now experience pain in childbirth. See? And the day you eat thereof, you will what? Die. Death comes. This is the curse. So what you have here in, Gen in Psalm 1 is you have that pattern followed. Okay, now that's very important. Now I want you to notice a couple things. Number one, that word blessed there is plural. So it means blessings. Blessings upon the man. Okay? Uh, the blessings are many fold. Okay? They're countless blessings. God will provide your need. I think this is very similar to what Jesus said when he said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, look, all these things will be added to you. All your provisions will be taken care of if you seek the kingdom. That's the person that God blesses right there. Okay, So that's important. But I want you to notice the blessing is limited. Notice, blessed is, look at that definite article. The man, that man, the certain man. So the blessing doesn't extend to everybody. It only extends to certain people. Okay. Now the word here for man, we're going to say blessed is the individual. It doesn't mean just males, okay? But only certain individuals are blessed. Now who is the person that God blesses? Look at verse 1. Blessed is the man, or the person, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Now if I ask you what the most important word in that section would be, you'd probably say, or walk, or counsel. <coughs> Most important word is the word in. The word in is found in all three of those. Look, walks not in the counsel. Look, stands not in the way or the pathway of sinners. Sits not in. See? Now notice, it's in negative terms. You see that? This is showing us the person's relationship to the world. Now I want you to notice this. Notice, there's an individual. That's the man, the individual. But I want you to notice that this person is described in relationship to other people, plural. Look, the counsel of the ungodly, ungodly people, does not stand in the path of sinners, plural. You see that? It's the individual against the world here. Now, notice that you have three postures. You have walk, stand, and sit. Walk, stand, and sit. You have three kinds of association. Counsel, path, and seat, which we'll talk about. And then you have three characterizations of these people that he's not to associate with. They're first called the ungodly. Next, they're called sinners. And third, they are called the scornful or those that mock. So, what we have is now... I used to think that the words walk, stand, and sit were a progression downward. First, the guy would stand around. People will stand around and they'll, they'll seek advice from their friends, ungodly counsel, their, their lost friends. And then before long, they're standing along. They're, 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 uh, they walk, they're walking, seeking advice. And then before long, they stop and they actually start having this relationship. They one is sort of a passing thing. Now they stand and they have a relationship. And finally they're sitting down. I don't think it means that at all. 
I think what we had here is just a Hebrew parallelism. And what he's doing is, he's giving you three different ways that you're not to relate to the world. Number one, you shouldn't seek advice from an ungodly person. Number two, you shouldn't associate on a regular basis with sinners. And third, you shouldn't sit in the seat of a mocker. Now, the seat is very important because the way rabbis and teachers would teach was they would sit and then their disciples would sit at their feet. So he's saying don't become a disciple of these ungodly kind of people. Okay? So what we have here is we, he describes this person that God blesses in relationship to the world. Now watch this. He's in the world. He's among the sinners. He's in the world, but he's not of the world. See? He has contact with the world, but he doesn't get involved in the conduct of the world. See? This is an individual who is uh, insulated from the world, but he's not isolated from the world. This person lives in the world, but he doesn't seek counsel from the ungodly. He doesn't associate with sinners. They're not his friends. He doesn't sit and become a disciple of some scornful teacher. So the question we have to ask is this. Who are our friends? <clears throat> Where do you seek advice? At whose feet do you sit and listen to? Is it Oprah? Is that where you're getting your advice? Is that where you're getting... Is she your guru? You know? Is it Dr. Phil? You know, somebody like that? Phil's not too bad. But remember, if this deals with the king and the kingdom, let's ask this. Where does the king seek his advice? Does he go to the witch of Endor? Or is he like David who has a heart after the Lord? Even though he's not perfect. You see, this is the thing that the psalmist is saying. The king and the people that are under the king, if you want to be blessed, you need to be, as a nation, Israel, separated. You don't make alliances with other countries and ungodly people who worship other gods and mock your God. And as individuals, we don't do that either. We shouldn't seek the counsel of the ungodly. So he describes the blessed person in relationship to the world. Now, second of all, he describes the blessed person in relationship to the Word. But look at this, verse 2. But, see, verse 1, that's not what he does. But, here's what he does. Here's the positive. But, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, guess where he gets his counsel? He gets his counsel from the law of the Lord, which in this case would be the Torah, or the five books of Moses. This, for us, living in the 21st century Christians, for us, it's the whole Bible. That's where we get our advice. That's where we seek our comfort. So this man gets delight. That's a very interesting word, isn't it? Delight. It speaks of pleasure. Great joy in reading the word and obeying the word and hanging around with people who read the word and obey the word. So his delight is in the law of the Lord. And then look at this, verse 2. And in his law, the blessed man meditates day and night. Notice that. Not on Sundays only. You hear that? Not on Sundays only. He doesn't come and 
to church on Sunday and hear a preacher preach or Bible teacher teach, and then on Monday seek his advice from the ungodly. Walk with the sinners. Sit in the seat of the scornful. So, now you know what the word meditate means. I don't have to go over that with most of you. You've heard about the cow and how it chews its cud and then it swallows it, has different sections in its belly, then regurgitates it and chews it more. Okay? We know that that's what this word meditate means. It means to chew on the word. You chew on the word day and night. You turn it over and over again in your mind. And then you let it settle. And then you come back to it. And you do it again. So, you not only delight in the Word, in verse 2, but you devour the Word. It doesn't only bring you pleasure, but it's your passion. So, the person that God blesses is passionate. And that's very important. I want you to mark your Bible here, and I want to turn you to a couple passages. The first one is Joshua. Okay, Joshua. Chapter 1. Now look, look at God's instructions to Joshua. Look down at verse 8. He says, The book of the law, that's the Torah, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Does this sound familiar? No. Why? That you may observe. Here's the reason. Here's the purpose statement. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So who is the person that God blesses? It's the person who is in the world but is not of it. He's in the world and he obeys it. You see? Now look over at Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah 15. <clears throat> okay, Jeremiah chapter 15. I'm going to come back to Jeremiah a little later, so you might want to just put a little piece of paper in there or something. But look at Jeremiah chapter 15, right after Isaiah. And when you get there, turn over to verse 16. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Now look what Jeremiah said. Your words were found and I ate them. Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Does that sound like delight in the law? The word of the Lord? Look at it. <clears throat> For I am called by your name. Why was God's word a joy to him? Why was it he, did he delight in the word? Because he was called by God's name. And if you're a Christian, you should delight in the word. O Lord of hosts. I did not sit in the assembly of the what? Oh, look at that. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of the scornful, the mockers. Look at that. I did not sit in the assembly of the mockers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because of your hand, for you have filled me with indignation. So notice that this is a person that God blesses, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah fits that pattern right there. 
Now I believe that that pattern is for us as well. Now look at the rewards. Go back to Psalm 1. The rewards. Now notice we're separated from the world. We're saturated with the Word. Now look at the rewards. Verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Look at that. He's situated by the waters. Separated by the, from the world. Saturated with the world. And situated by the waters. Now notice it says he shall be like a tree. That's a simile. You're not a tree, are you? No. You're like a tree. Okay. What kind of a tree? Look. He shall be like a tree planted. A planted tree. Not a wild tree. Not a tree that sort of comes up by accident. But a tree that was planted by an intelligent being. See? Planted on purpose. That Jesus said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be rooted up. He says that over in Matthew. But this is a tree. Now look, it's planted by the rivers of water. It's a planted tree by water. Now that means the tree's roots are going to go deep. And it's going to reach down into that water, which is going to make that tree very steadfast. It's going to make that tree very firm. Okay. Now how do I know that? Well, because the tree has tap roots that go deep. That's going to make the tree strong. I've planted trees in my backyard before they had roots. They weren't planted by an intelligent person. I can tell you that much. Because the winds came and guess what happened to the tree? Because I didn't know what I was doing when I was planting it. It just knocked them right on over. So you know, I didn't know you needed to have stakes and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm from Baltimore. I'm from a racetrack area. <laughs> now, look, it's a planted tree. Now look what else it is. I want you to notice it's a productive tree. A tree planted by the waters that brings forth fruit. It's fruit in its season. It's fruitful. Now notice the tree brings forth fruit. It's fruit for the tree, it's for the fruit for other people. It's for others. Think about that. The blessed man is like a tree that serves others. See? For the benefit of others. So it's a planted tree and it's a productive tree. And it's a permanent tree. So look at this. Whose leaf also shall not wither. Now what does that mean? In order for a tree to be productive, when does a tree produce? Would you say in the produce season, I guess. In the harvest season, that's when it produces. But guess what? It has to get to that point before it can produce. There's always a danger of that tree dying before it becomes productive. That its leaves will wither. Because, you see, before it produces, it has to go through the summer. And it faces the scorching heat. And a tree that doesn't have deep tap roots that go down into the water, doesn't have the sustenance of the water to feed it and to refresh it, that tree will become dry and its leaves will wither and that tree will die. Well, the blessed man is the one who perseveres. He is a permanent 
tree. So, and it also gives us a principle here that struggle always comes before success. Notice the tree will be producing its fruit in season if its leaf doesn't wither, if it doesn't die first. So the blessed man is the one who goes through the difficult times, comes through the difficult times, and has a fruitful life and serves other people. Now, I want to show this to you. It's very interesting. Go back to the Jeremiah passage that I mentioned. And look at Jeremiah 17. And look at verse 5. Jeremiah 17, 5. Now look at this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Look, that's not permanent. That's a departure. For he shall be, this is the cursed man. Look, cursed is the man. You see that? The psalm says what? Blessed is the man. Now he's going to look at what, the, what Jeremiah says. Here's the cursed man, the Lord says through Jeremiah. He is the man, look at verse 6. He shall be like a shrub in a what? A dry place. Does the desert have water, rivers of water that the roots can go down? It doesn't have that. It's like a shrub in the desert. And shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. But look at this. Blessed is the man. You see that? Verse 7. Who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Sound familiar? Which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be what? Greens, it doesn't wither. Its leaf shall be green. And will be anxious, not anxious in the year of doubt, drought. Guess what? If there's a drought, it has deep tap roots. It still can reach down to where that water is. Even on the surface, it's dry. Its roots go down to where the water is. Doesn't get anxious. By the way, if you're a Christian and you're anxious about all the things that are going on in the world, don't get anxious. Look at this. Won't be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding its fruit. It'll have a fruitful season. But watch this. The heart is deceitful of all, of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if I say, are you a Christian? You say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. The heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Well, how do you know if you're a Christian? Oh, let me see your fruit. Let me see your fruit. Do you persevere? Do you go through the good times and the bad times, still trusting in the Lord? Do you make it past the struggles and come out the other side? Or when the struggles come, do you depart from the Lord? Do you just dry up and wither? You see, the heart's deceitful. So what do we do? We inspect our fruit. We say, are we persevering in the faith? Does that make sense to you? Now go back to Psalm again. Psalm 1. Look at the very end of verse 3. The very end of verse 3. It talks about this, 
this tree planted by the waters, at the end it says, and whatever he does, ah, notice that, now it's not the tree, it's the man, whatever he does shall prosper, shall thrive. So that's the blessed man in relationship to the world, in relationship to the word, and now in relationship to the water, which is the source for that person's strength and endurance. And for us, it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, For out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. So we should be tapped into God and the Holy Spirit. Now, the second part of the psalm is the person that God curses. But look what it says. Verse 4. But the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not so. They're not like they're not like a tree that's planted by water. They're not like... By the way, have you ever seen that word ungodly before? I think you saw it back up in verse 1, didn't you? <clears throat> Look, the ungodly are not so. But what are they like? Oh, they're like chaff. Which the wind drives away. There's a simile. They're not chaff. They're like chaff. Well, what's chaff? Chaff is... Is it fruit? Is it the harvest? Or is it just that outer dry crust that's good for nothing? Jesus says, except to be burned. And the chaff is that which is uh, at harvest time, you know, they throw the grain up in the air and the chaff falls off and it floats through the air and the, the real fruit comes down, the real grain comes down. So this is, uh, chaff is lightweight Christianity. Give you some fruit, that's pretty heavy. A piece of grain, that's heavier. But chaff, that's lightweight. The wind comes, the adversity comes, just tossed about. Wind just knocks it all over, and uh, it's absolutely good to know. It's like a Texas, West Texas tumbleweed, you know. I remember the first time I saw a tumbleweed. I never knew, I saw them on television when I watched a Cisco kid, you know. <laughs> but I hadn't seen any uh, in, in my real, in, in life, so I went out to Amarillo, and they were all going over, and I said, what? All they would do is get in the road. They were good for absolutely nothing. Uh, and by the way, when they're talking about ungodly people and sinners and all that, they're not just talking about totally lost people the way we think of them, some prostitute out there, some old drunken, you know, out in the gutter somewhere. Uh, most likely... These are people that are also taking the name of God, Yahweh, and part of Israel. But, you know, they don't really trust God. They're Jews in name only. They're not really uh, faithful. Uh, probably that's how he's characterizing these people. But he says they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Now look at the result. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Now, what does that mean? They will not stand in the judgment. Now, it can mean a couple things. It can mean when judgment comes, guess what? They won't have a leg to stand on. Uh, they're going to be guilty for living a life apart from God, and they're not going to be able to stand in the presence of God, and uh, they're just not going to hold up in the day of judgment. They're not going to pass muck. 
But, very interestingly, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, that word, or that phrase, shall not stand up, means shall not rise up. And it could be a reference to the resurrection, which says this, in the resurrection of the just, at the end of the age, do we believe in a resurrection of the just? Yeah. The dead in Christ shall what? Rise. The Jews believed in the end there'd be a resurrection of the just, and they also believed there'd be a resurrection of the unjust. They would be punished. This could mean in the resurrection of the just. The people who are cursed won't be standing there. They won't be resurrected with the just. You see? Uh, they were, they're lost. And so they're cursed. <coughs> Judgment is upon them. So it means one of those two things. But both are pretty bad. And then it says this. Therefore the ungodly, verse 5, shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners. They won't be standing in the congregation of the righteous. I think that means the same thing. Uh, the righteous will be assembled there at their judgment. And uh, these sinners won't be there. They won't be there. That will not be their lot. Now look at verse 6. Why is, why is that so? What's the reason for that? For, because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Uh, he's watching you. He knows you. And uh, you, you do pass the muster. And you are blessed. God knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the... Un and that means you'll have life. You'll be resurrected to life. That's why I think that word means to be raised up. You'll have life. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall... What? Perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not what? But have life. See, that is John 3.16 right there summed up. There are, there are two ways. There's the way of blessing, and there's the way of cursing. Uh, there are two destinies. There is life, and there's perishing. And that's what that psalm is telling us about. Now that's going to be the foundation for everything else that's coming. This psalm and the next psalm. Now, how does Jesus fit into this? Well, I think in a sense that this person that's being described here uh, is, you know, is definitely the person after God's own heart, like David, a king after God's own heart. Uh, but, and in contrast, I think, the first Adam, who was blessed for a while, but then lost his blessing and got a curse, with the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, Hey, Jesus is that blessed man. Jesus was obedient and God blessed him. Uh, how did God bless him? Now listen. With all of his provisions taken care of, everything was taken care of during his lifetime. He was blessed. He didn't have a lot of extras, but that's not what blessing's talking about. That means you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything's going to be taken care of. But guess what? When he was put to death, what did God do? Praise him up. 
Timothy. He got the resurrection of life. He was raised up. He is the blessed man. And the same promise that was made here in Psalm 1 and was exemplified in Jesus' life is ours as well as if we follow Jesus and we follow the instructions here in the Psalms. So what we've done now, we've just opened the door to the Psalms. Okay? We're ready to go in. But first of all, we have to step across the threshold of Psalm 2. Okay? So next week we'll deal with Psalm 2. And we'll see how that relates to Jesus. It talks about God's Son, who He's going to raise up as a king. And how the nations must kiss the Son, be reconciled to the Son, or face God's wrath. So that's what we'll pick up next week. Father, I thank You for this first psalm, and may we be excited about these first 10 or 15 psalms that we cover this summer. We'll be covering psalms that we've never read, some of us, never studied. Uh, who knows what Psalm 11 is about? 12, 7, 5, 14. And Lord, this will be good for each one of us here because uh, it will cause us to study your word in depth, to get a clear understanding of this entire uh, body of work called the Psalms, uh, and it will force us during the week to meditate on these and to try to apply these principles to our lives. So Lord, help us to be successful. We want to be the individuals that you bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.